Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Feelin' Film Plus. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as always, is Coles. Hello. We just got back from seeing a film in the theater, so it's a late night for us. But we wanted to get these three movies discussed and out there for you guys to listen to so you could have some thoughts on these new releases that are coming to theaters and to streaming services near you. This is going to be a fun show. We've got kind of a, a real wide swath of different type of films to talk about. And, Coles, I'm going to actually mix this up. So I think instead of putting Space Jam A New Legacy at the end, I tend to put the, like, big title, the big name title at the end of the episode. But since we just walked out of the theater, I thought maybe we should just get this off our chest and get it over with because – it also probably is not necessarily going to be the most positive of the three conversations we're going to have. So, you know, with that said, let's just uh, let's get into this. So the first movie we're going to talk about is Space Jam, A New Legacy. This is the sequel to the original film Space Jam, starring Michael Jordan and a whole bunch of other NBA players from a different era. This stars LeBron James, Don Cheadle, Chris Davis, Sonequa Martin-Green, Cedric Joe. Sayer J. Wright, Harper Lee Alexander, and the voice talents of a ton of folks. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, Zendaya, Jeff Bergman, Eric Bauza, Bob Bergen, Jim Cummings, Gabriel Iglesias. There's also quite a few of your favorite NBA players and WNBA stars in this film, as well as announcers and other basketball and movie-related personalities. It is directed by Malcolm D. Lee. It is written by Jewel Taylor, Tony Rettenmeyer, Keenan Kugler, Terrence Nance, Jesse Gordon, and Celeste Ballard. And folks, that should be a red flag right there when you have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six people wrote this movie. <laughs> That's a lot of cooks in the uh, old script kitchen. What does it show? Uh, what is it about? <laughs> Superstar LeBron James and his young son Dom, not Dom Toretto, so Dominique James, Get trapped in the digital space called Warnerverse, I believe, by a rogue AI, played by Don Cheadle. To get home safely, LeBron teams up with Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and the rest of the Looney Tunes gang for a high-stakes basketball game against the AI's digitized champions of the court, a powered-up roster called the Goon Squad. If you remember, in the first film, it was Michael Jordan and the Toon Squad against the Monstars. This is LeBron and the Toon Squad against the Goon Squad, which I guess it rhymes. So that's cool. With that said, uh, Kales, I'll throw it to you, man. <laughs> is there, <laughs> I'm going to say this differently than I usually do. Is there anything that you liked about this movie? Don Cheadle's having a lot of fun in this role. I want to see more of Don Cheadle being a villain, not like a serious, serious villain, but a guy who is gleefully taking advantage of his usual dramatic spots and just letting his hair down a little bit and being funny because he can be funny when given the opportunity to do so. And he gives some of the best moments in this film just on his own personality, his own eccentric, just very outlandish proclamations that he gives and his name, Algie Rhythm. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The visuals are nice. They look very good on a big screen. You know, it's a lot of updating. We have the original Space Jam, and then now you have this new film. So, of course, they were going to step up in the animation department. I really like it once we get to the big game, and you just have this fantastical crowd, and you have all these colors and explosions and these nice little meters and levels and just a bunch of video game-like production elements right on the screen. And then we have Bugs Bunny, Lola Bunny. They turn from 2D to 3D, and they... Look like a spruced up car. They look very nice. Nice to see some of my favorite NBA players, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, or the Brow. And we get to see a couple of WNBA players, Diana Taurasi, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the other girl's name, but she's a good player. And LeBron. I mean, LeBron, he can be corny. <laughs> we know this. We, we followed him on social media. We've seen him. We, I practically grew up with the guy, you know, when he first came into the league. And he could be corny, but there's a sense of innocence and a sense of joy he's having with this film. He's not 
trying to take it seriously and judging by his acting skills which goes into my dislikes he he's not taking it seriously i mean it's meant to be a fun little romp at the movie theater for me that's where the positives end because i got a whole bunch of dislikes well i i'm struggling man i'm struggling listen i agree (laughs) that john don Cheadle is having fun i I will agree that that is a factual statement (laughs) Whether you like that or not, it's your mileage is going to vary. I I can't say that I loved him. I can't say he's at all by far the worst part of this movie. So I guess by default, like by <laughs> your relative to the rest of the film, he's a bright spot. I think that's probably where you were going with that. He is hamming it up, and it is fun to see him just be able to let loose, especially for those of us who just watched No Sudden Moves. Um, which is also a, it's a great Don Cheadle performance. Great. But so different, right? Like you, you really get to see his acting chops and this is, it feels like the almost, uh, where, where you'll, you'll hear people talk about like one for them and one for me. It's like, I'm going to do a movie for, for a real movie where I really act and then I'm just going to do one for the heck of it for a paycheck for fun. And this feels like the paycheck for fun movie. Um, I agree with you about the animation. I enjoyed the animation. I like getting Bugs and Lola content. I enjoy both of those characters in general, and I, I liked their implementation in this film in particular. There is – the movie has a really hard time selling me on any sort of emotional moments because of how stupid it is for the majority of the runtime. But there is a moment with Bugs that I'll admit – I mean, I didn't get emotional, but I liked the way it was implemented, and I was caught – in a bit of a surprise. And so I, I liked how that character plays into the story um, and how he works with LeBron to kind of eventually get the Toon Squad to be what they need to be in order to compete with the Goon Squad. Like you, I thought some of the visuals were pretty cool with the way that the power-ups worked within the game because essentially, folks, Dom's son is a video game designer and he made this game a basket he made, he made NBA jams for lack of a better explanation he made NBA jams and Dom you know Dom LeBron wants Dom to play basketball and not make video games and it's all about like you know choosing to pursue what you love and your parents supporting you and how does LeBron and well we'll save that it, it's but it, it's NBA jam and so it's cool to see a live animated action movie of NBA jams at times. There's some good scenes there. And then lastly, I will say I thought there were a few cool jokes and moments within the film and the way that they use the meta references and the IPs. There are an overwhelming number of them. I'm just going to launch into my dislikes real quick. So I liked a few of them, but I almost am disappointed in myself for it because i don't think the film deserves my like of the few moments that i did and what i feel like Gilles, is that it goes so hard at nostalgia that it knows it's gonna hit somewhere it knows one of those moments is gonna make you go ha 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 or you know oh like you and i looked at each other a couple times because a couple of them were pretty fun right but if you took those two or three moments and you you look at the film as a whole and you realize there were a hundred crappy ones then it's really not winning and i would i would compare this so people have made the ready player one right it also is a lot like the lego franchise movies like lego batman lego the lego movie the lego movie 2 where they bring in a lot of ips this is disgusting to me this felt to me more like a commercial for hbo max than it did a movie with a story and a sequel that needed to be told it felt like so blatantly a superstar who wants to put a feather in his cap that says here's another thing that i did that jordan did i can do this thing when he can't really, not at a high level, not at a great level at all. I don't think he's a good actor. I think he's pretty bad. I think, and it shows. And they try to mask it as best they can. And I don't think that it makes up for it when the film's script makes a joke about the fact that he can't act. Like, I don't think that that absolves you of him not being a good actor just because you know it and you make a meta reference, you know? And so, anyway, I, those films 
those other films I referenced, like RPO, to me, they use their references in a way that is very specific to the story beats. This one literally takes you on a tour of a bunch of WB properties and then puts a whole bunch of them in the stands and just constantly pans around the stands to show you, oh, don't forget, WB owns the Flintstones. They're back there in the background watching the game. Don't forget. I, I, you want to know what really made me mad, Kales? I'll be honest. The the thing that really sealed me in the, like, I'm mad camp was there is a training day reference made by Don Cheadle in this movie. And I was like, this is a kid's movie. They're not going to get it. They're probably going to laugh at it because it's about King Kong. But reality is it's a training day reference in space. Like, what in the frickin' world do you need to put that reference in this movie for? And the reason is because they want something to hit for every again they want every everybody to hit they want your adults all the way down to your little kids to find something oh lebron's in harry potter oh my gosh how cool and then me i get that moment i'm like oh don Cheadle just said the he just said the denzel line right and then i check myself and i'm like why am i getting excited about that for five it's like it's like a, a synapse right like you get like this little energy burst and then it's gone it's like a hit of a drug but then it's gone it doesn't last. There's no, there's nothing of actual quality and value there. It's just like a quick hit. Dude, it is so egregious at this. And the story doesn't, is nothing. Like it is, it, there's nothing there to write home about. It's not interesting or meaningful enough to overcome any of this stuff. And so I will say, I didn't hate every moment watching this movie. I kind of had, it, it was Sometimes it was enjoyable and fun. I did not like the way they implemented all the other NBA and WNBA players. I thought the animations of their crazy monster characters were cool, but I honestly thought it was a disservice to the real players. Like, you don't get to see them in their normal human forms doing anything. You know, it, they're kind of just like, they're cartoony, chaotic, and they're bad guys. It's, I, it was just weird choices all around for me, and I'll never watch it again. Uh, I think it didn't need to be made. It's frustrating to me. And so, yeah, I didn't absolutely hate it, but I also am angry about it. This film is Warner Brothers kissing their own butt. This is them giving themselves a pat on the back. This is them showing off their shiny toys. This is them essentially screaming to the world, hey, we created these famous movies. We created these famous characters that you, you we know that you all love. So look at us. Look at what we did. It's almost like the kid that you go to on Christmas morning and, you know, you got yourself a good few gifts. But then you go to this privileged kid and he shows you, like, look at what I got. Look at what my mommy and daddy got for me. Look at this. Look at that. And at, at a point, you were happy for the kid. But at a time, you're kind of annoyed because they just have all this stuff and they're throwing it right in your face. And you're supposed to be happy. And you're supposed to, like, go along with it. But no nostalgia is not enough to save this film showing me the droogs from a clockwork orange showing me Danny DeVille's penguin from batman returns showing me the monkeys from the wizard of oz showing me king kong and iron giant fist bumping each other that's not going to get it done it, it it's something that's cool to look at it's 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 a gross it's a gross use of nostalgia. I'll say this. There are films that get it right with the nostalgia, showing you just enough to get you to to spark a memory back in your brain, spark a time back in your life when things were different. That's okay, but this film is all about throwing it all in your face. It's essentially like, it was like I was almost like flipping through an Instagram timeline. <laughs> just all of these brands. Like, there was a scene where LeBron gets transported into Toon World, and when he falls, the Nike logo is all of a sudden made, which I don't know how, because his body is straight. But he falls to the ground, he's a Nike logo. Then you see the Nike jerseys. And then you have moments like the hip-hop bonus round, which, ha which happened during the basketball game. On the basketball game note, is it just me, or was... I was kind of bored watching this game in the film. It wasn't like the first film where you saw Michael Jones getting destroyed by the monsters and then all of a sudden the team is the team was actually working together. They were running these plays. The Looney Tunes aspect of it was well implemented. But in this film, they just pretty much are just doing whatever they want to do. And it it kind of just gets into a sense of parody. 
with each with with itself. Like it wants to poke fun at itself, but then again, poking fun at yourself doesn't excuse some of the bad qualities of the film. The kid actor, dumb. I hate roughing on kid actors, but this kid, like the whole time, I felt like he was just, hey, I just want to be me. I just he just won't let me be me. He kept saying that over and over throughout the whole film. And then you have LeBron, which just almost feels like a vanity project for him. Did you notice in the beginning where it's like LeBron James, he's a world-class superstar athlete. He's an entrepreneur. He's a social media superstar. And then, you know, they bring up Taco Tuesdays. And then they bring up about how he left this team and left that team. And then how, oh, like he might not be greater than Jordan, but let's see how time persists. It's, it's, it's so like me, me, me that I felt kind of stinky afterwards. It felt like I was watching a promotion for not just LeBron James. Not just for HBO Max, but just a promotion for everything that is wrong with commercialism in film. Mm-hmm. Yep. This was gross. I honestly don't understand what the crowd, what that was supposed to do. You saw, there were a couple of cool references. I liked that I saw the, the mask was in there. I saw, I saw the mask. I saw Jack Nicholson's Joker. Okay, cool. What are they there for? Like, they're just here to watch a game. They're not doing any interactions. They're just in the crowd. That's supposed to be entertaining. That's supposed to be something that I'm clapping about. I mean, for the kids, I'm pretty sure the kids will enjoy it, and they enjoy it in our theater. But as an adult, this film doesn't even come close, doesn't even sniff the rubber from the first film. It, it's just another commercial. And I said that at the end. When they asked for a comment, I said, yeah, this is a great commercial. That's funny because I literally said the same words. <laughs> they probably thought we were talking beforehand. <laughs> and there's a scene where they have Porky Pig, notorious Porky Pig, rapping. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I laughed, and I'm mad. That's the thing. I I laughed for a, for a hot minute, for a second. Like I thought it was funny at first, and then I was like, why am I laughing? And that's the thing is, like, it wants to critique all of these quote algorithms that run our lives. By making fun of itself, but it is the freaking thing. It is that it is. exact thing. It's doing the same thing to us in real time that it's trying to be higher than if I comment on. That makes that you can't do that. You can't you can't be it and critique it at the same time. It just doesn't work like that. So then you we get the we get these quotes. They're like I'm still wondering. Six people were involved in writing this film, and this was this was the sum result of six people. Like. Haters gonna like. There's a literally a scene where the granny says, "Haters gonna hate," and then there's another one where she says, "Game blouses." Another forced reference. That's the references Chappelle show. What kid is gonna know about the Chappelle show? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like you said, like with the train day reference, it's all about trying to hit all of these targets. But it's like, dude, you're trying so hard that you didn't even work on your story. There's nothing here that's gonna grab me back. To seeing this in the first Space Jam, you saw Michael Jordan when he was like not at his lowest, but he was doing baseball and he was wondering about should I return back to basketball? Will I get my passion back? And then we see the NBA players who lose all that passion, and the NBA has a strike and there's no basketball going. There's an actually ongoing narrative in Space Jam. In this film, we're pretty much we're pretty much having to tune into LeBron saying, "Hey, you want to be great? You got to put in that work." And he, he won't let his son be who he wants to be. And, like, the whole moral of the story is like, hey, just be you. Just Like, it's okay if you're different. Like, we haven't seen that in every Disney Pixar film. Like, we haven't seen that in every standard animation film. Just be you. Just be different. Nothing nothing new to see here. Nothing exciting. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be one star level bad. But, hey, I'll give it some credit. I had some fun with it. Um, I was more of a fan of Cheeto than you were, and hey, and I mean, there are some, I can laugh at corny. I mean, I can under, I can see that something is corny, and I can still get a good laugh at it. But this is not a new legacy. This is just Space Jam Remix for the it's Future. Crapping and on a legacy is what it is. It's crapping <laughs> on a legacy, and nothing will bring me back to this film. And I'm honestly, I'm thankful that we got to see it in the theater, because watching it at home, it would have been a disaster. I would have cut it off. I'd have turned it off. Uh, exactly. I would have turned it off. Exactly. Well, with that said, uh, so this will be in theaters and streaming both on HBO Max, same time, on July the 16th for audiences everywhere. What are you thinking? Are you thinking go to the theater, watch it at home, or skip it? 
if you are going to watch this, go to the theater. But I won't promise that you'll want to leave. <laughs> Unless you have your kids there, you might get the urge to leave. I'm not feeling this, sadly. So I'm with you. I'm not feeling it either, sadly. We're both, you know, enormous NBA fans. And we both are huge pop culture fans. Like, this movie, like, everything they want it to target is us, right? Like, we're the demograph. We hit all the boxes. And so we're telling you neither one of us are feeling it. But I'm actually going to totally agree with what you're saying there. And if you do want to see it, if you are interested, like, I have friends, right, that are huge NBA fans, that they're going to go see it with their kids and their families, no matter what I tell them. And that's fine. And I will urge, I will say, you know, keep your movie tickets because... I do think the communal aspect helped this movie. Like, be, honestly, being able to look over at you and either in a moment that we both thought was funny, those rare yeah. times, but also in the moments that we just were rolling our eyes, like being able to kind of do that together, having people around you both laughing because things were funny, but also laughing at the stupidity of things helped get me through it in a way that you're right, man. At home, it's just like, this is dumb. I'm going to, you know play a video game or watch a movie or turn on something else. So 100% in the same boat as you. Okay, we're going to switch gears big time, big time, big time. And we're going to talk about not Porky Pig, a different pig. And this is a movie actually called Pig. <laughs> it stars Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, and Adam Arkin. It is directed by Michael Sarnosky, written by Michael Sarnosky, and also Vanessa Block. I believe this is Michael Sarnosky's fe first feature film as well. What's it about? Living alone in the Oregon wilderness, a truffle hunter returns to Portland to find the person who stole his beloved pig. All right, that's a heck of a setup. Now, I want to say this before we get too deep into this likes and dislikes. Do your best to keep this super vague. And even if that means we got to be short, because my number one like on this, and I'll come back to myself at the end, but like, I really loved being surprised by this film, not having watched a trailer and really having no knowledge except for that, that setup that I just read. It goes in a direction you never would expect unless you'd seen a trailer or somebody told you about it and not knowing the direction it went in was a huge part of my experience personally. So uh, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. But, but what did you like about this one? Nicholas Cage, the man himself, often the mass audience out there will make fun of anything that Nicholas Cage does because that's what he's become known for. He's the guy who's willing to take on any role and just play in all these crazy and whimsical, just kind of, on orthodox films, some of them hit pretty good. Other times they're, hey, get this out of my face. But I appreciate and I love when Cage is able to go deep, when he's able to be in drama, when he's able to play against type. Because, you know, we're always expecting for that crazy moment or from him to have to make a face that's a meme or a gif. But I got to see a soulful Nicolas Cage in his film, and I was all the more better for it. You know, his character is almost like a metaphorical... He's a metaphorical cousin to the setting of the film, which is in the Pacific Northwest, which is where we're from. And, you know, it rains a lot up here and, you know, days get a lot more gloomy than it is sunny. And film carries on that journey. It, it's a drama film and it's very unconventional. I love when films go against type. I love when I can read a synopsis like the synopsis you just introduced. And it's expected to be one thing, but then it just like pulls the rug up under me and turns into this whole another thing. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate being different, being unique, doing something different, you know, not doing what everybody else is doing. And that's what this film is. It's a meditation on trauma, the meditation on pain. It's all about this man trying to find himself and figure out where did his life change? Where did his life go wrong? Is there a way for him to be redeemed? Alex Wolf, you know, a film is made greater by Alex Wolf. I've loved him ever since I saw him in Hereditary. He's done a pretty good job in his young career. And he takes what will most likely be a superficial character in another film and gives it and gives it some dimensions. You know, he's this kid that's almost like 
a spoiled kid when you first meet him, you know, a guy who's driving his fancy car and, you know, he listens to opera and he loves classical music, but there's something deeper beneath the surface with this kid. He has a backstory, which is very compelling and ties in with what the journey and struggle, what Nicolas Cage is going through. I also love the pacing of this film, even though at times it kind of drags a little bit. I was invested in this story and I thought that I wouldn't be, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't move at a lightning fast pace, but it's very meditative. It's very reflective. And it speaks to anybody who is trying to run away from their past, who has kind of given up or who has changed from who they were and kind of, you know, they're content with where they are in life, but they wish that there was something more. And I think that this film speaks to that. So I find this pretty good given the circumstances and given what my expectations were going into it. Man, I love everything that you just had to say, and I would completely echo it, and I think even ratcheted it up like a notch, because I loved this movie, and I was not expecting to love this movie at all. I mean, I thought we were going to get Crazy Cage, because that's what we've been getting for the last three or four years of movies. It's been Crazy Cage, and when you read this premise, it's like, oh, John Wick on somebody who stole his pig, right? That's what you're expecting. That's not what you get. Like you said, he is completely, I love, I have the word in my notes too, meditative. Uh, he's very quiet. He's very reserved. I think the minimal dialogue suits him well. We don't need a bunch of long takes of, of him spewing, you know, words. <laughs> like the way he looks and carries himself, his acting is really in his body language so much and his facial expressions here everything is monotone and and quiet and there's reasons for that i think that in addition to things you said that it's a fun little mystery honestly like what who he really is like what's his background how did he get out in the woods why was he there why is this pig so important to him and where did the pig go so learning the answers to those questions were really enjoyable for me and there is, you know, this movie highlights in a really nice way the power of a good meal, which I like it when movies do that. There's some food in this movie that is used in a way that yeah, reminded me kind of of the movie Chef. Nothing touches that movie for me. That movie is like the one that makes me salivate the most, I think, of any film I've ever seen in my life. Um, I could literally just like try to bite my TV to get that Cuban sandwich. But this movie has meals in it that are that they're described in a way and they're they're used in a way that make you excited about food makes you understand why a great meal can be so powerful to your mental health at the time um so to speak and so i liked that and i liked that really like you said it's about him kind of looking for meaning in his life and i think the movie highlights how important it is to be passionate about something or maybe not necessarily to be passionate about something but if you are passionate about something that you need something real in your life that needs to be real it can't be fake it has there's a way in which you can pursue a passion and it's so hard to talk about it because like without giving anything away but but there's a way to do that um and there's a way that it can be faked and it's not satisfying and it, it is not life affirming if you're not fully invested in something that is real, how how you need the connection of real people and real events in your life. So um, and it's a pretty short movie. I like that it's short. I love, you know, movies that can come in and pack a punch like this in like 90 minutes. Uh, heck, yeah, I am all about that as well. It's also not a shoot 'em up, which I appreciated. So we we kind of joked there about John Wick, but there's not much violence in this at all. Very minimal, in fact. In fact, the only things that I didn't like it, I'll just I'll just kick it over to our dislikes, were that sometimes I think there's a tendency in indie film in particular to want to portray very introspective and 
what I would call idiosyncratic people or socially awkward people in a way that is fascinating. And I don't know that you have to be this kind of reserved kind of person to be thoughtful. And sometimes we can get wrapped up in, in portraying those people as weird outliers of society. I think you can be this kind of thoughtful person and still be a functioning member of society. And so, you know, it's not like an, it's a nitp It's not really even a nitpick. It's just something I picked out of this movie that I noticed that we always do that. It's always somebody on the outskirts that the, the re the normal people have to kind of see this outsider and go, Oh, I want to be like you. Um, and, and that's interesting to me. And the other thing and this is really this is crazy that this is like the only thing I wrote down in dislikes. But Nicolas Cage's character, I don't know. This film takes place over like 48 hours, maybe 24 to 48, maybe 72 hours tops. But at one point, very early in the film, he gets blood all over his face and he just walks around with this caked blood on him everywhere he goes. When he goes to eat meals, when he interacts with other characters. When he sleeps, when he gets up day, the next day, it's just he looks disgusting. He never cleans himself. And I felt like it was not really realistic to the narrative. I thought it was like one of those kind of overly pushed things. Like you're really going to let Hammer home. This guy's, you know, he doesn't care about being clean. He's just on a mission. It literally takes like 10 seconds to wipe blood off your forehead, Coles. Like it's not hard. Like it's not you're not delaying your pig search in order to do that. So it felt a little forced to me in that regard of how hard they were hammering home his like weirdness. Uh, but again, nitpicks, I freaking loved this movie and I am really excited for people to get to check it out. So did, is there anything that you particularly didn't like about it? There are instances where the story gets very vague, where we see that Nicholas Cage, he does have a backstory. He had a life beforehand. You get some details, but it feels very vague. We really don't exactly know what happened to him to cause him to leave the modern world and go and live out in the forest with his pig. I mean, we don't... Outside of him and Alex Wolf's character, nobody else has really developed much into anything interesting or kind of fitting into this world. It feels like this is a cage and alex wolf film and everybody else is just trying to fit in and get into certain pieces that are going to help drive the story forward but it it can't really drive forward without cage and without wolf and i felt that a little bit more backstory need to be given in this film like i know there's a bit of ambiguity there's a bit of mystery like you said but I kind of was grasping at straws to learn more about this character, to learn what made him tick and why he was the way he was. And then there are certain moments, like especially towards the, the beginning of the film and the middle of the film, there are many moments where the pacing will kind of feel kind of sloggy and you're kind of waiting to get to that next destination in order to find out where the story will lead to. And it's not too much of a major issue and it doesn't really get tedious. But this is definitely if you're not a fan of slow burns or if you're not a fan, if you're not a fan of films that are not going to give you just the easy cookies, you know, up top, then I don't know if this it might be a little bit too slow for you. That's the only thing I really noticed. I couldn't really pinpoint anything that will cause the issue with this film, because like you said, like I said, this surprised me. You know, my expectations were kind of down here at the low level. And then afterwards, I felt a lot more better watching this and actually giving it a shot. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that we're both high on this one of specific. We're probably the highest, I think, overall on this one between the, th the two three movies. So, um, yeah, check it out. Uh, I'm I'm feeling it. It'll be available in theaters on July the 16th. And I say go see it theaters. Go see it in theaters. Support indie film. You know, go forth and prosper. Good movie from Neon again. It's a winner. What do you think? I'm feeling the same way. I can already see this is going to be one of the biggest surprises for a lot of people, especially from this coming with a Nicolas Cage film. All right. Well, that leaves us one movie left, and that is Netflix's newest picture, 
releasing on a Wednesday, which is really weird and totally screwed up our episode because now it's coming out <laughs> after this movie already came out. So many of you will have already watched it. <laughs> it's called Gunpowder Milkshake. It stars Karen Galan, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones, Carla Gugino, I'm probably butchering some of these names, Chloe Coleman, Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, and Paul Giamatti. It is a extremely nice cast of generally well-thought-of badass women uh, actors. It is directed by Navat Pupashato? Papashato? Yeah, talk about butchering names. Sorry, Navat. Uh, it is written by the same man and Ehud Lavosky. What is it about? To protect an eight-year-old girl, a dangerous assassin reunites with her mother and her lethal associates to take down a ruthless crime syndicate and its army of henchmen. Stop me if you've heard that before. Okay, that doesn't mean something's bad just because it's been done before. But Coles, what did you like about Gunpowder Milkshake? I know you were excited about this, really excited about it going into it. It lives up to most of the hype that I was bestowing on it in the weeks to come. The cast is great. Each of the members of this cast gets a signature moment to themselves in this film. I mean, we see Angela Bassett destroying dudes with just dual wooding hammers. And then we see Michelle with the chains. And then we see Carrie Gillian. She gets a lot of good moments to show how much of a badass she is. There's one moment where her pretty much her arms are numb and she has this little girl with her tape a knife to her hand tape a gun to her hand and taper her finger to the trigger and being able to take on a group of three guys that are high off of laughing gas i mean this film is very creative and it goes outside the box which is more to say for a lot which is more than what i can say for a lot of films in the female assassin subgenre me and you have talked about it you know, off podcast, how many of these films can be grave disappointments, how they can be generic, how they can be plain, how can they be just plain dumb and show no effort. But this film has a lot of effort. And while I will say that most of its influence and most of the things that it accomplishes comes from other great films like the John Wick franchise, this film has females at the forefront. And it's showing you the battle that females still have today against a, a patriarchal society, against a male-dominated society. The villains, the firm, even though they're – I'll get into my dislikes about how I feel of them as far as villains, but they represent society. And these females are not willing to take it anymore, and they're willing to fight back. And But I do like how they don't try to shoot out and go into these tropey things that we see in a lot of other female-led films. like most films with a female you gotta have a love interest or hey the film has to revolve around a man and then you know you figure out and you, you complete your mission that way but no this film is about a woman who ends up killing the wrong target and now she's not just on the run from the firm she's on the run from a whole lot of people and it's kind of a mad dash to see will she be able to make it out alive she ends up finding this girl this little girl emily and she's kind of taking her under a wing and you get this nice connection between them because Emily is a girl who doesn't have her parents and Karen she had to deal with the tragedy of not really having a mom when she grew up she saw her mom her mom is in a she's in the world of the assassins as well and she grew up being an assassin just like her mom because she didn't have any guidance she didn't have anyone to show anyone show her different and there's a nice good bit of world building in this film that there would be a nice prequel that could be set to this film a nice prequel showing a younger Angela Bassett character or Michelle Yao or Elena or even showing Karen's character as a little girl and being able to show the events that transpired into what we have now. And the creative use of weapons. There is a point where Lena has a gun and she puts just a knife at the bottom of it and she's using it as a bayonet. And the hand-to-hand -hand choreography is very acrobatic. It's very off the wall. It's very loose. I love the cinematography. There's a nice emphasis on neon colors, purple, red, pink, which fits along with the whole girl power aesthetic. And it's a nice feminist film. And if you're a feminist, then this film is definitely right up your alley. And it does a lot of exciting things. While it's not the best thing in the world, this is well worth a Netflix, a Netflix subscription. It's a fun film. And 
it really goes all in on the bloody violence. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a guy who enjoys when violence is well filmed, when it's well structured, and this film has a lot of good bloody moments in it. Yeah, it does for sure have plenty of those moments in it. I love the neo-noir styling and it's got a lot of darkness with the neons and the shadows and very exaggerated outfits like Sam's character, the character that Karen Glam plays, where the way she talks is exaggerated dialogue in that way. And she has this wide brimmed hat and dark coat that she wears frequently throughout. Uh, and I love that style in pretty much any movie like that's that's always going to be an enjoyable aesthetic for me. And so that was good. I made the joke and said, this is What If John Wick, But Girls, and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And that's kind of a good indicator of the mashup that I feel this is. Obviously, Quentin Tarantino isn't always making feminist films, but so I'm not talking necessarily about the plot itself, but just in the way that some of the action is shot and the way that the characters deliver their interactions as they're taking down enemies. It felt like some Quentin Tarantino Kill Bill work at times, in my opinion. Uh, there's one particular time where the female assassins are gearing up to take down like a, an incoming swarm of men. And it just really did remind me of that scene in Kill Bill where she's gearing up to take down an incoming swarm of men. The world building is interesting. I I'll save some comments on that for later. I do like some of the action. I'm hit or miss on a lot of this stuff, so it's kind of like some of it could be in likes, some of it could be in dislikes. There are some good action set pieces that I enjoyed, though, and I am typically a sucker for slow motion, Coles. More times than not, you're going to get me to go, ooh, that's cool, then I'm annoyed by it. And there's some neat little slow motion and some pretty cool needle drops as well with the way that the soundtrack works in this film. I think that this would have been so much more enjoyable in a theater. I wish that we got it theatrically. I'm a little annoyed that internationally they get to see this in a movie theater and we only get it on Netflix because when you talk about the themes of the patriarchy and smashing the patriarchy, this movie is not subtle. It is not even close to subtle. It is as blunt and obvious as can be about what it's trying to portray and say and i think that that would make it a real hoot to watch in public because i think you would have especially with an audience full of feminists or, or females i think that they would be just literally cheering out loud and screaming during this movie and it would be made for a really fun experience uh, so that's a bummer you know you only get to watch it on your couch so but th those are pretty much the things that I liked about it. I'll save some stuff for later. What is there anything that you didn't like about it? The use of Emily, the little girl, her character as a plot device. There's no reason for Emily to even be in this film at all. I, I, I don't understand why these films do this all the time where we'll have this badass um anti-hero or a hero going around and mowing down people and then all of a sudden they'll introduce a little kid to tag along and make these cool jokes and be able to play the whole oh, oh no you're still innocent so you know what cover your eyes when you see this hey put on these headphones and listen to this great needle drop right here while i while i go and kill some people like i, I don't understand why this girl is in the film like literally there is a point to where i thought the story was going to take a darker turn with her character, and honestly, it almost turned me off. And I won't spoil it what it is, but there is a development with Emily towards the second half of the film where I thought, uh-oh, they're about to, you know, continue the cycle and everything, and it's just a waste of time to have her tagging along and everything. You could have just did this with Karen Gillian and just focused on her and Angela Bassett and the rest of the crew, you know, the rest of the Birds of Prey. I actually saw a review earlier today that said that this film did a better job of being Birds of Prey than Birds of Prey did. Now, I don't agree with that, but other than that, the first half of the film, it takes a little bit to get the gears going. You know, we're, we're kind of going into a 
this beat, hitting this beat, hitting this beat, and hitting this beat. There's nothing really new going on, nothing really different. You know, it, it really takes its time to get up to speed. Also, the Carrie Gillian, her performance is good, but her character is not really, is not, she doesn't feel like a hero to me. She doesn't feel like somebody that when you watch this film, you're going to take away and be like, oh, I want to be like her. Or, like, she's not Furiosa, you know? <laughs> she's not uh, the bride or anything like that. And I think there could have been so much done to give her character a lot more of a platform to be able to stand out from the rest. You know, she's just another one of the, the women that's in this film, and that's not a bad thing because the cast is awesome. But I feel if you have your leading woman, this is your leading character, you would want her to have a more bigger influence and that just doesn't happen here no matter how good karen gillian is in this film and then there are moments when the cgi gets a little bit cumbersome and a little bit too obvious like especially with the blood especially when people are jumping in the air and you're you know you're seeing somebody's slow motion shots making it obvious that people are obviously digitally put into the frame and then the villains uh it, the firm i guess they're just like this closeted group of just men who control the world and everything but it's just nothing but a that's literally how they describe them at the beginning yeah. of the movie is they say a group of men who run the world and women do their bidding and their dirty work yeah i was like oh well you made it kind of obvious who they were <laughs> and they're just a mindless number of men who just keep coming at the women it's just almost like NPC characters. Like they don't have anything that they do that makes them stand out either. They're just there to be fodder for the women to just like do damage to and just wreck all over the place, which will be satisfying, like you said, for an audience of feminists, an audience of women. I mean, this is going to be the coming out party. This is a film that feels like if I was like, you know, if I had a sister or something, I'd be like, hey, you can take your girls right here to Friday night and have a movie night and just sit right here and watch this and enjoy it. But there's something that's holding, there's a lot that's holding this film back from being great. And I know that we had talked before about how we we're going to bring this up on the podcast about female assassin films. There's a whole lot of bad and not a lot of good. And when there is good, it feels like that there still is a lack of effort to put these film put these films over the level. Like when are we going to get a female Leon the professional film? When are we going to get a female John Wick? Like a female assassin that we can build around and have her for multiple films and be able to bring in crowds and bring in good critical reviews and everything. Like when is that going to happen? I feel like these films just still are settling and this breaks the glass ceiling. But the glass season was the glass season wasn't that high already for these kind of films, and this is a good start. And I would like to see more from this director because they have a like a very wild, crazy, and just phenomenal aesthetic when it comes to color, when it comes to imagery, when it comes to the way action is filmed. But there is still just a there's still some something lacking in this film that keeps it from being a great film. And it's not frustrating. It just feels like there should have been more. Yeah. Yeah. I think what my, before I say my dislikes, what I'll say to the point of the female assassin films in general, where I land on it right now is, man, I look at all the ones we've had and almost Every single female assassin film I can think of in recent years, Atomic Blonde, Red Sparrow, even um, this one, there's been others, but they always seem to focus in on woman badass is underrated and is not taken or is taken for granted because she's a woman. And so they always go with that story. And and I understand this is a problem in the world in general. Like, I'm not, this is not me defending the patriarchy. Like, I get it. I understand why you'd want to tell stories like that. But I think when you're talking about this, that's not what happens when you see a story about a male assassin, right? It's not, it's never about, it, it's strolly, solely about the guy's a badass. He has these abilities. How do you stop him, right? I want to see that movie 
with a woman in the leading role. I want to see it, the storytelling from the jump, do nothing but assume that the world already is completely fearing this person. Not because she's a woman, not because they treat her differently because she's a woman, but because of she's solely an assassin. And I think if you could do that, we would see something more like the things we love from a John Wick or like a Born Ultimatum spy movie, things like that. They can exist, but we have to not intentionally put the fact that they're a woman into the story, I guess, if that makes sense. Does that does that make sense to you, at least, <laughs> I hope? No, it, it makes sense to me because it's almost the same way of how – well, we're getting a, a Superman film, but it's a black Superman. Why he can't just be a Superman? And with these films, it feels like you've got you to gotta really show that, oh, this man sees this woman as weak. He's more bigger. He's more stronger. He's more tougher. And this woman just can't get any respect. So you know what? She's going to have to fight for her respect. But how about we just have a woman who is on a mission and she's trying to hunt down this target and... You know, she go, she runs into a lot of barriers across the way, but eventually she gets the person who she's going for. But we're focusing on her herself. We're focusing on her journey, not just her being a woman, but her being an assassin. Like, show me how hard it is to be an assassin. Show me the ugliness of it. Show me her putting all these moves down, but she was born that way. She was already, she already had this in her. We, we don't need something showing, we don't need a scene showing a woman being beaten down and being underestimated. And then all of a sudden you get the needle drop coming in. And then all of a sudden she just goes haywire. She's like, Oh my God, women are awesome. Girl power. Yes, that's great. But stop focusing on just a woman being a woman. Like we, we're, we're progressive now. You know, this is not back in the forties and fifties where we have to show, we have to show these things about woman, you know, sex image you know, them being, like, weak compared to men. Like, those days are over. Just give me a good, well-written story about a woman assassin and her just trying to complete a mission. That's yeah, all I asked for. And I think it's okay to still tell stories like that in different – but, like, we've had those. That's the thing is, like, we have those already, and that's fine. So we have those that exist. So give us some that do – show us a progressive world where that's no longer the problem. Like, I think if we always portray things as a problem that needs to be overcome, then what are we ever going to see that makes it just look like it's the norm? You know what I mean? Like, this is just a norm. Like you said with Superman, don't even address the fact that it's, oh, well, what is it? What would it be? You know, I mean, you can address race with Superman if you need to, to some extent, but for the most part, just put a person in a Superman and per don't treat it that way and see what happens, see what kind of movie that would be. It would be interesting to me. But I think that that has held this specific type of film back a little bit is because it always has to be about how does the woman overcome and that's how she's an assassin versus she's just a badass. And men don't ever have to overcome anything. They just, they just are. So uh, my dislikes for this one, you mentioned this about the world building. This movie is world building and it feels to me like that's why it exists. It sets up for a sequel. It is so blatantly trying to be a franchise from the very first moment of the narration in this movie as it's setting up a, a world and it just continues on. It blatantly rips off John Wick in the way it sets up its underground assassin universe right down to the concierge who takes people in right down to the safe house where people have to turn in their guns and can't you know, attack each other. And of course it gets broken and then there's a governing body that kind of like tries to oversee that right down to a unique location. That's a hidden spot in the middle of the world or the middle of the, the city or whatever that is serves as a hub where they can get weapons and stuff like that. <laughs> it, it's so much of a copy that I just wanted it to do something that was its own and its own quality is that it's women and not men. Like that's the defining difference instead of any of the storytelling. So I wanted more of a difference. I also absolutely lost my ability to be immersed when in some of the action, I mentioned that some of the action scenes were good and some of them are really bad. 
The choreography, I like all the time. I think the choreography and the design of the action scenes is actually really good. I think the execution is awful at times. There is specifically a scene, you probably have seen this in a trailer or something is my guess, because I've seen a still photo out there on the internet of it, where she's fighting in a bowling alley. Sam is. And there's not a single punch or kick that looks like it touches a body. Every single one of them, it's like I swing my fist, it gets about an inch to two inches before it hits somebody's faces, and you watch that person like throw their head. It's it's the most obvious stunt work. And it just it breaks the immersion for me. Uh I didn't like that. I thought that was bad. And then I the movie tries to walk a line. A lot of times films will do this between very cool and very silly. There are some pieces where we're like going along at this nice, like this is a pretty serious movie. It's really bloody stuff. that crap's hitting the fan. And then you get these new characters introduced and they are a complete caricature of the worst people, men you could ever imagine. And it's so ridiculous and over the top that it's hard for me when those things are trying to be put in the same scenes like back to back hard for my brain to accept that and it doesn't work for me well and then lastly i think that the uh i think karen galan is bad in this movie i love her normally i i don't think that she is a good actress in this film i think that she it's uh, it's always hard to say it's hard to say if somebody if it's a performance or if it's the direction a lot of times because the way the character is written which is what you were saying when you talked about this the way the character is written doesn't do her any favors i just frankly man i look i don't think she's an action star i don't think she pulled it off i just don't we watched we're gonna have differing opinions on another movie next week but it's another movie with a woman actress a woman actress i guess all women are actresses are women but another actress who is an action actress and i the difference between the way these two females portrayed strong physical action badass characters was night and day to me and it really made me see that karen galan just doesn't do it for me in this movie and then i thought that the rest of the really super studded cast was a little underused they come in in like one crucial moment and do one big kind of set piece and it's a lot of fun it's a real cool moment but that's it they're just like they're window dressing because it's like supposed to be this almost like a passing of the torch of the old old strong female actresses onto this karen galan as to carry this franchise i don't think she can do it so that's my last dislike as i mentioned this movie is available now as of July the 14th, streaming on Netflix, and it will be available internationally in theaters on July the 15th. Kales, what are you thinking? Is this one you would recommend people catching in, on Netflix? I would definitely recommend it as a Netflix film. Too sad we couldn't get the theater, but as a Netflix film, this will pay dividends for a lot of people. I'm borderline, to be honest. I could take it or leave it. I'd think that there's enough there to have a average movie experience for an hour and a half actually it's closer to two hours uh, i don't think that you're going to be missing out if you skip it though so i'm really flip a coin if you're bored and you want to watch something at home you got nothing else to do you're done with loki you don't want to see space jam uh, you're not interested in pig i guess throw this on and you might have a good time with it but that's as, that's as much as the praises that I will give. Yeah, so, all right. Well, that's it for us on this episode of FF+. Plus. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can catch us on social media, at Feelin' Film and at Black Nerd Magic, or, as always, in the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's a link to that in the show notes. Also, if you are enjoying the show and haven't done so already, we could really use your help with leaving a review on Apple Podcasts a review, or even just a five-star rating by itself will help us out immensely as we are quickly, or actually we're not quickly, we're slowly getting closer and closer to our goal of 200 ratings, which will allow us to reapply for Rotten Tomatoes access and ability to be listed on that site and expand our audience and just have a wider um, variety of people 
you know, joining our conversations and reached by the things that we have to say. So we would love for you to do that as well. Other than that, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy one of the movies that we've talked about and keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.